Welcome to the Know Your City podcast, where we talk about cities, learn about their leaders, and discuss the issues that are impacting our communities. This podcast is brought to you by Inclusive Action for the City, a nonprofit community development organization based in Los Angeles. This is Azucena Favela. Today, I'm joined by my co-host. What's up, everyone? My name is Rudy Espinoza. Hi, I'm Lyric. Know Your City is produced live from our Los Angeles headquarters. So if you hear office sounds, that's just the sound of work getting done. Rudy, do you want to tell us about today's guest? Sure. Uh, today, we have Lou Calanche, who's the founder and executive director of Legacy LA. Her entire professional life is focused on serving the local community of Boa Heights here in the city, and particularly youth. She has worked as a field representative for Councilman Richard Alatore, a professor at East Los Angeles College, and as a program assistant in the Healthy Start program at Murchison Elementary here in the community. She recently championed the directive to have the city of Los Angeles put together a youth development task force because the city of Los Angeles is the only major city in the nation that didn't have such a team. Congratulations. Oh, hi there. Hi there, everybody. Thanks for joining us today. Sure. So I had a chance to hear you speak a few weeks ago and walked away really inspired by your story. Can you tell us, inspire my team here, (laughs) can you tell us a little bit about your upbringing in Boyle Heights? What was that like? Sure. I grew up in the neighborhood of Ramona Gardens, which is in the northern part of Boyle Heights. This community is, um, think about like an island. It's surrounded by um, the 10 freeway, which is a 15 lane um, highway. Then um, to the east, it's all industrial area. To the north, it's um, a rail yard. Um, so basically growing up there, you kind of feel like you're you're living in a, in a separate part of the city or, mm-hmm. you know, disconnected from the city. And kids that grow up there tend to um, stay there, not go to college. And there's a lot of um, gang influence. So it's very difficult, basically, for a young person to come out of the neighborhood and go to college or be successful or have big dreams. And um, that has that was my experience. I was one of those lucky kids that had somebody mentor me and provide opportunities to see like what's outside of the neighborhood. And I used those opportunities to um, fight for my community. A lot of what was happening back in the community was um, a lot of the gang violence and also a lot of police suppression that led to um, investments that are very typical of the city where they'll bring in the experts to tell the community this is what you need and things are going to get better for you. But it was never uh, problem solving from the you know grassroots up. So that was um, something I wanted to change and to begin to make changes by building the capacity of the community to create their own change and sustain change. You also talked about being really curious about things and you had constant questions about how things were happening in the community. Um, Where did that come from? Where where, where did you pick that up? It was really interesting because I ended up um, studying political science and working in politics. But as a a child, I was very interested in politics. Didn't know what politics was, but and no one was political in, in my household. But I was very interested in like how government served the community. Um, so ended up, you know, organizing people in the community. I ended up doing um, voter registration drives on my own and then mailing out the voter the voter cards because I felt it was really important for the community mm-hmm. to be registered to vote. And those are things that just happened as a result of being acutely aware that 
we our community didn't look like other communities. So, for instance, I had a teacher in like sixth grade take me to her home in Long Beach, mm. right? And I saw she had a pool and she had a nice neighborhood. And I would come back to my neighborhood and see like, wow, like we don't have anything here. So instead of kind of feeling like, wow, we don't have anything here, I was just like, okay, how do we get government and the politicians to care about us? And that work actually um, early on led to kind of a career in politics. Um, kind of one of the stories I share with the young people um, about following your dreams and and um, kind of when things feel right, I I was um, going to start law school right after college. And prior to that, I had started a girls um, sports program at Hazard Park. And things were going really well. And um, I went through the summer program in law school um, to prep you know, minority students to be successful in their first year. And um, so we get to the end of the program and the professors tell us, um, you can't, okay, now law school is going to start in a couple of weeks. You have to give up all your volunteer activities, all of your, um, any work, your first year is all school. And at that moment, I just felt like it's not the right time. So I ended up not going to law school because I needed to stay with these girls that I had been mentoring. It was the hardest thing for my mom because we had paid the $500 deposit for me uh -huh. to start, which was a lot of money. And to her, it was like, why would you like give up law school to play at the park? But for me, it was like, I need to do this. I committed to these young girls. That led to me meeting Richard Alatori and getting involved in other political things in the community. So it was like the right thing to do. No regrets. But it was basically following your heart and knowing that once you commit to the community, you just can't leave. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But you ended up studying public administration, right? And I imagine because of those experiences. I did. So I didn't go to law school, but I ended up um, pursuing uh, MPA, uh, Master's in Public Administration, because I wanted to make government more efficient and make government work for the community. So I kind of knew the politics, but I wanted to see how the government institutions actually could be more effective. So I did I did that. Um, and then I went to go work for Richard Alatori, which was... Uh, he, a tremendous opportunity to work in my community and um, to be able to influence things like the budget for Boyle Heights um, and just kind of be a, a spokesperson for Boyle Heights in, in the council office. I left there to pursue a, a doctorate in, in public administration because I wanted to, I thought I wanted to teach. Mm -hmm. and, and I did teach, um, but I felt, okay, I understand how government works and I need to take this information and prepare the next generation. And I also learned about working for the council office, learned about land use, which is um, something that I feel is terribly important in our city. Yeah. Right so given all this information that you just told us, you, you founded Legacy LA in 2007. Was it all these experiences together that led, led to that place in your career or was it something different? And um, why, why is the work of Legacy LA and Boyle Heights important? Legacy LA was like one of those decisions, just like not going to law school and, and continuing to support the young people in the community, where I had this great job at um, East LA College as a tenured professor. And um, once I was hired on a tenure track, uh, suddenly um, I wasn't teaching like these crazy hours. I had a more set schedule and I thought, you know, what could I do with my time, with my free time that could really make a difference? And I sat on different boards in the community, but I felt 
I think what I need to do is to go back to Ramona Gardens, where I come from, to be able to build community capacity. Um, I felt that there was a, still a tremendous need, but there wasn't any organizing. And having had worked in politics, I saw um, firsthand how important it is for the community to be organized and to have leadership. So communities that were organized were getting the city's resources. So initially, my goal was just to organize mothers. And I was going to build their capacity because I was I was a professor. I had a full time job. So I was just going to organize them to be able to access resources and the things that they wanted. And they came up with three main things that they wanted for their community. And the first thing was they wanted better education for their children. Um, they wanted after school programs and they wanted improved relationships with law enforcement. And that was really sad because they actually were like, we don't want our kids killed. Mm. We don't want our you know, we want our kids to um you know, make it through, you know, high school graduation, things like that. So it was like, okay, we can do that. We can, you know, find these resources for you. And we started working on this. And um, eventually we had this plan and I was like, okay, well, it might take a long time to get there, but you can do it. And, and they felt we need these services now. So I was kind of in the situation where I kind of had to was working to develop their capacity, but then they were counting on me to kind of help them access these resources. So at that moment I said, okay, so I, we have to find these resources. And I just started looking to see how we can bring these resources to the community. And that's kind of how Legacy LA was born. Right, I'm, I'm really curious. At that point, did your mom understand the work you were doing? We always talk about this. How do we explain this work to our right, family? Right, right. For a long time, I mean, like my mom's dream was for me to be an attorney, mm -hmm. right? To be a lawyer, because I think that growing up, that that was like the measure of success. Like mm -hmm. if you become a lawyer or a doctor or something, that was a licenciada, mm -hmm. right? Um, so, and when I didn't do that, it broke my mom's heart. But she also started to see the impact that I was making in the community. And actually, when I when I kind of started organizing the moms in, in Ramona Gardens, I actually went to my mom. My mom worked at the elementary school as a parent center coordinator for like 20 years. well-respected. I always talk about how she had the kundina in the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And um, and everybody came to her like when things happened back in Mexico and they needed to send money. They came to borrow money. And no, uh, of course, like never charged interest or anything like that. And I always wondered... How, how do you know they're going to pay you back? And she's like, they will because we're part of the community and we'll see each other at church on Sunday, right? <laughs> the original microloan. Yes, yes. Um, so um, when this this whole like idea of coming back to the neighborhood um, kind of started to happen, I went to her and I said, you know, can you bring together some moms that you believe can you know, help to change things in Ramona Gardens. Cause she saw, you know, she was like the first person that you would meet at the school when you came into the family center, which was for like mental health um, or health services. So like that would be the first person you talked to. So she was always trying to like kind of navigate services for residents. Mm -hmm. And she saw like all the need. And she like assembled these women who I didn't know, but they came to a meeting with me because my mom asked them to. So I think by that time, like she saw the importance of the work I was doing and saw um, me begin to build this organization. Nice. Do we have time for one more question? It's not on this list. Yeah. Legacy LA. How did you how did you land on that name? Actually, um, 
it was kind of a name that was somewhat already kind of established. Um, we, uh, my, the first name for the org that we were going to create was Dream Big Ramona Gardens. Mm. That was like the first thing because one of the things that I found was in talking to these moms that were um, basically leaders in their community because they were already active doing things and talking to them, I realized that the community had already adapted to like not having resources and I started feeling like there was a sense of hopelessness and they didn't want they, their d big dreams for their kids was like, as long as they don't get killed. As, right. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, like, no, no, no. Like, we have to have big dreams. Like, so we started saying everything is dream big, dream big. So that was like the first kind of name we thought of, like dream big Ramona Gardens. We um we kind of merged with an effort that was happening at the time around the, the renovation of this armory that we're in now, this a vacant, back then it was like a vacant military um, building that the city had just kind of taken back from the federal government. And there was already kind of this movement um, that we joined to kind of dream up what we could do in this building. And that movement was called Legacy LA. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. So we just kind of joined that effort and then we kind of became Legacy LA because mm -hmm. I was just kind of like this, like, let's bring people together. But it wasn't an organization or right. anything like that. So then we just kind of like grew out of that. So that's kind of. But the, what we talk about is Legacy LA is like building a new legacy for young people, mm -hmm. how we see young people um, is uh, changing the narrative about young people. If you look at our logo, it has like this new like rising sun. Um, so one of our goals is to change how, the stories and narratives of how we view young people, right? And how we um, care about young people and how we build communities that really support young people. So it's like creating a new legacy. Absolutely. Lou, can we talk about real estate development for a little bit? Yeah. <laughs> so we understand uh, that you've been tracking some of the development around Ramona Gardens, um, and it's something that you track probably in other neighborhoods too, but especially in Ramona Gardens. Mm -hmm. Can you give us a recap of what's happening in that community? Mm -hmm. So Ramona Gardens, think about this. When I was growing up there, um, even when I was in college, I had friends who who would make fun of me because we couldn't get pizza delivered to my house. <laughs> so if I would invite people over, um, we would um, order pizza, and uh, but we would have to meet the pizza guy like on Soto and Alcazar by the liquor store, right? Because you um, people didn't want to drive into Ramona Gardens. It was kind of like you drive in, you don't drive out, right? So, um, so now we have the, this neighborhood that is um, now like desirable. Right. So we went from like this neighborhood that nobody cared about. And now it's like super desirable. And I guess my concern is more about um, if it's desirable now, now we now we're OK with investment. Like the city wants to invest. Other folks want to invest. Right. But why didn't we invest when which is like the big gentrification question. Right. Why didn't we invest when there was all these issues. Right. Mm -hmm. So some of the things that are happening around Ramona Gardens um, are obviously like the, the the big thing right now is like the USC expansion. So USC is building uh, more and more um, um, student housing right around the community, right around Legacy LA. They see it as a positive thing because now they're, they're it would take away the the um, 
the need for students to come in and rent in our community, but it doesn't really work that way um, because students may not even afford the the student housing that they're providing, right? Exactly. Um, there's also um, this like future biotech um, development that may happen. And um, what's concerning about that, if it's like not even, even if USC doesn't lead that, USC needs the space, like the research space. So USC doesn't really have to develop it as long as someone's developing those parcels um, to create research space for USC. Like it's lucrative for developers to do that, right? So, um, so that puts like more demand on land. Um, and um, and then right around, literally right around Ramona Gardens, there's more movement of like um, of um, taking these large you know pieces of land that are underutilized and making like there's right like around the corner from where I grew up now there's like a uh, it's called Hangar Studios it's like a it's a like a, a studio right where they're shooting films um, there's more and more development that's um, basically not going to benefit our community. Right. So things we're working on are like creating like a land trust around the area, increasing, you know, hopefully getting the city to make, I mean, the county, because we're right at the border of the city county, getting the county to purchase um, land to create more green space. Um, but those are kind of like the the pushes that are um, from the kind of outside community that are creating some challenges for the residents that live there. How do you see these these developments impacting the youth in the neighborhood? Well, I mean, like one of the the immediate um, issue is rents, right? So um, as as it becomes more desirable to live in this neighborhood, own a lot of it is not owner occupied. So there's a lot of apartments that you know the rents are going up. So our our youth are telling us like, ooh, um, I don't know if we could afford to stay here in the neighborhood. The good thing about this neighborhood is that there is like public housing. So half of it is public housing and the other half is like um, just market rate housing. So the public housing at least assures us that folks can stay there. There's other issues with like, you know, the police pushing people out. Mm -hmm. But at least the, the cost of living there is still somewhat reasonable but there's like um, impacts to families um, that then you know families feel stressed about being able to pay rents being able to stay in their neighborhoods where they have a lot of their support services and if they have to move then you have to like move your your child from their school and maybe their babysitter or maybe their after school program so it creates a lot of um, uh, uncertainty for families so I would, and and these families are already under a lot of stress so given all these issues, Lou, how do you think the community should engage on this front? You know, I mean, I've seen you organize youth. I've seen you activate alleys. I've seen you. I mean, if you visit Legacy LA and I definitely invite folks that are listening to this to go see Lou and the kids and the youth there, um, you're an organizer. And I'm wondering, as you're tracking, I know you're thinking about how to plug people in. So how do you, how do folks engage in this process? One of the things that we actually just talked about this yesterday because we're doing like our leadership planning. One of the big things that we are prepping our youth for is to present a community benefits agreement to USC. And then the question is, well, it has to be bigger than USC. It has to be for like other developers coming into the neighborhood because there has to be some benefit for the community. 
um, if you're coming and developing in our neighborhood. Um, I know that's not how capitalism works, but you are creating harm. Although on the, on the developer side, it's always about like, well, we are improving the community. We are bringing jobs, but not necessarily to our community. Right. Um, so one of the things is like our youth are, are getting prepped to kind of develop a community benefits agreement. Um, we have an upcoming city council um, race next year. So we're trying to get our community prepped for that and knowing like what issues are important to them. So we want to make sure that they're ready to um, demand things from the candidates. Um, and also I, the other thing for the, our organization that we feel like is a gap is this whole like um, training, like training people up for, you know, we're, we're pushing for local hire for any type of development, but these jobs are not going, even though they're local hires, like you can go look for people and they're not ready for these jobs. We're also trying to create like a health careers pathway for young people that don't see college as their future, but what are some of the jobs that are um, the jobs of the future? So we're trying to um, kind of create a pathway for for those young people. We also need a lot more investment from the city, and that's what we're we're fighting for with this like youth development department. The city's um, strategy for young people is all over the place and nowhere, mm. right? <laughs> Um, so did you, I saw something that you put up that, you know, that we, something about the animal services department or oh, you yeah. did something really smart that was comparing budgets, the city, existing city budgets to what is for, what is, uh, allocated for youth. What was that about? Um, so, I mean, one of the, the messages is like, you know, I have two animals that I love, two dogs. And we say like, we love our, we love our animals, but we have to leave, love our youth as well. The city has a animal services department, but we don't have a youth department. Right. So that resonates with folks. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like, wow, like we we are organized. We have a department head. We have a budget for animals, but we don't have that for young people. So that's one. We're also um, comparing what other cities spend on its youth. Um, um, so an alley um, spends about seventy five dollars per capita for eight hundred thousand youth um, ages 10 to 24. Um, other large cities spend a lot more. New York spends about five hundred dollars mm. per youth. San Francisco about fifteen hundred dollars per youth, and they have established departments. With a department, I am certain that the city can increase its funding not just by consolidating like uh, all of its resources that are spent on youth, because almost every department has a youth program, but we're not collaborating, leveraging, coordinating those services so there's no plan no strategy for mm -hmm. young people but these departments like um, new york are able to leverage more from the federal government um, because they have a person that's in charge of bringing in revenue um, bringing in grants for young people we can bring in more from philanthropy but no one's really talking about youth so that's kind of what we're trying to change and trying to change the narrative about young people we don't have to fix them we're just we want to support them and support their growth and help them, you know, reach their potential. What was the big, the biggest pushback you received as you were advocating for the creation of this department? Well, we're still receiving the push, the pushback. Um, basically, um, we've heard like from the mayor's office, like, oh, you know, um, two years ago it was, um, oh, it's so difficult to create a department. 
But now we're like, well, you created a cannabis department in a matter of months, mm-hmm. right? So it's like, you can't <laughs> say it's... Tell them, Lou. Yeah. <laughs> so like, we can't say that it's that difficult. It's just like the will to create a department needs to be there. And then also like, what are the financial implications to the city by creating a department? So that's like the biggest push. Because if you talk to council members and probably even the mayor, they care about young people. Right? They have but, to. Right. So, yeah. And and our young people say we're the future. Everybody says we're the future, but they don't want to invest in us. Right. This is like straight from the kids. So um, I think that there is like that um, desire to do it. It's just we need champions in the city that are willing to stand up and say we do need a department. Um, And we luckily have some champions now. Um, We just got our. motion approved in council to create a task force so the citywide task force would develop the strategy um, for a department and then there's a couple of things coming up that we think are critical there's like the vote next um, the prop 13 vote next year if that passes hopefully it does um, that would bring a lot of money to the city and we're saying that we we should get at least 20 30 percent of those Mm. funds for young people sure yeah. So so it's money. It's like creating another in a department bureaucracy, but I, it's necessary. I think that's amazing, Lou. And I think we hear a lot of we have a scarcity mentality in the city like, oh, we don't have enough money for that. But, you know, our budget really is a reflection of our values. And it's really inspiring to see you and your coalition and the youth stepping up and saying, hey, we matter and you need to prioritize us in, in the budget every year. Um, you and I have talked, I'm going to change the subject a little bit. Um, you and I have talked, uh, have then have had small venting sessions about nonprofits uh-huh. <laughs> and, um, we know that managing a nonprofit is really hard. Um, can you tell us, uh, what your experiences are in that realm? What are your challenges and how do you take care of yourself? Wow. Um, yeah, that's, that's a hard one. Um, so when I started legacy, it, it was a time when I was still teaching. I was a full-time professor. So to get this organization off the ground, I had to keep my full-time you know, teaching job. So I would teach in the mornings and then come to Legacy and stay there till about eight o'clock at night and then go home, get ready for class the next day. So that was my life for probably five, six years. That was difficult. I had to give up everything. It was like Legacy and then teaching was like my my everything right I didn't have time to hang out see people um weekends were like catching up on grading and and getting ready for the for um the next week so it's hard um so when people ask me like oh how did you do it or I want to start a nonprofit, I'm like it's a lot of work it's like starting a business you have to give it your all I think the hardest part and I think that all nonprofit leaders will tell you this is um just keeping the organization funded Right. We were very um, I was very strategic. So I don't want to say like we were lucky um, to be funded. We were I've always been very strategic and, and kind of knowing like what what are the needs and how do we um, how do we get people to see that addressing these needs can actually be a good investment. So and that's what I did. And there wasn't any real investment in Ramona Gardens. So I was like, that's it. Like it's Ramona Gardens. It's all it's always been ignored. And that's the story we have to tell. And we have to show outcomes. Um, I've been around a lot of nonprofits and a lot of the time um, the way and luckily I learned being on boards that you needed to diversify your funding and things like that. 
because there's an issue with how the city gives out its money or the county gives out its money. It kind of keeps these nonprofits going, but they don't diversify. So like if they don't get one city grant or one county grant, you're done. Mm -hmm. Right. So then that creates the scarcity issue. And um, then you start seeing like conflict between the nonprofits. (laughs) It's really sad. Where I see like the city's role should be to support like all these organizations that like have this amazing mission and are doing this amazing work. But instead they pit us against each other, right? For these like scarce funds. Um, so I had to um, figure out like how to get the, the, you know, foundation money so that I didn't have to fight with, you know, the other nonprofits in the area for these government funds and, and set up the organization that way. But um, I think a lot of it has has to do with showing outcomes and being able to track outcomes and evaluation. So um, because of my education and spending so much time in school and having to do research and evaluation um, in my doctoral program, I was like, we have to show outcomes. So that's one of the things that we did. Finally, I'm like full time at Legacy. I've been full time for the last three years and I feel like I'm starting to take care of myself. Started traveling. (laughs) Yeah, because I didn't do anything for years. Started traveling and having weekends off. And yeah, I was like the everything, the everything at Legacy from like, if y'all could see her, she has a huge smile (laughs) on her face. It's been like the biggest um, adventure of my life starting this organization. It's been hard. I mean, the, the 10 years that I've been there, I mean, I've seen kids killed, which is like really, really sad. Like I've seen, I've experienced a lot of loss of young people. Just this um, past week, um, four kids from Ramona Gardens got arrested and are probably going to be doing a lot of time. These are 18 year old kids. Um, got arrested um, for doing something really bad and um, they're probably going to be in prison for a really long time and they're 18 and if you see them they look like little kids right so I've seen a lot of loss which is like I'm trying not to become kind of like used to it but I've also seen a lot of great things and a lot of great things that our young people are doing these are kids from the projects that now we that have graduated college and are working at Legacy and hopefully that we have more and then eventually they can take over Legacy LA. Um, but um, it's been a beautiful experience. Yeah. So you've been organizing for so many years with youth and uh, especially working with kids in Ramona Gardens and learning how to take care of yourself and develop this entire nonprofit. What do you think is the biggest lesson you've learned from the, from the kids you've been working with? I think that the biggest lesson or maybe not a lesson, but just knowledge is um, how resilient kids are that you could come from this like, and I could say that for myself, but I guess when you're going through it, you just see it as like, that's life. That's how it is. Right? That's life. I just got to do it. I got to keep going. I, as, a, as a child growing up in this neighborhood, I saw a lot of bad stuff, but it's just like you just got to keep going, right? And um, so I didn't really think about myself until I started seeing myself in these kids where like they have like horrible things happen in their lives and they still get up and go to school the next day, mm-hmm. right? It's like, Oh my gosh, like I, yeah. So I wouldn't want my children to go through that, mm-hmm. right? Um, so I see how resilient they are. 
and also realize like they have dreams, right? And things that they want to do. So um, it makes me want to work a lot harder for them. And, and then when they're successful, it's like, that's the biggest like um, reward for me, right? But also it has shown me that we need to support our young people um, a lot more. And I think 10 years ago when we started, I, I would always hear um, the police, the schools, the you know, institutions talk about like, well, if their parents just cared, then um, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't have these issues. And I think the other thing that I've learned um, is that the parents, the parents need our, our tender, loving care as well, right? The parents are going through so much and then we expect them to take care of themselves and their kids, right? So um, that's also like one of the biggest things that I've learned. It's like, yeah, we can't blame the parents. A lot of them just are going through their own, you know, life experiences as well. So it's kind of a family thing that we have to do. And I think that we moved in that direction at Legacy. We just started our first father's group yesterday. Wow. Yes. Um, yeah. And we also do meditation at Legacy. We have a today, Friday, four o'clock. We have a drop in meditation. That's a, that's yeah. And, and boys go to it, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. Like last, last week I saw like four boys coming out of the meditation program. So yeah. So I think um, it's not one student, one youth. But just I'm in awe of how resilient, how strong they are and how they just keep going. Hmm. That's amazing. What an incredible call to action to make sure that we're developing this youth youth department well and and getting the supportive services that all the kids in the city need, especially in Ramona Gardens and Boyle Heights that have been uh, underserved for decades upon decades. Um, So Lou, we're going to wrap up right now. As you know, this is the Know Your City podcast. So in the spirit of uh, of the title and, sorry, in the spirit of the title, we want to know which city do you consider yours and what's one thing you would like to, our listeners to know about your city? Ooh, okay. So um, obviously LA is my city, but I'm from Boyle Heights. And I used to always say that um, you could get anywhere in the world from Boyle Heights, <laughs> right? And I, um, I grew up, I grew up literally like next door to the Ten Freeway, and it's. I know today we're like kind of fighting environmental justice, right? Like that's one of our biggest things because we live next to a freeway. But I would tell everyone like from my house. This is me growing up. From my house, I could go anywhere in the world because I just have to jump on the Ten Freeway, right? <laughs> Um, but Boyle Heights is my, is my home. I love Ramona Gardens. I love that, um, when I, um, go into the neighborhood, um, people, um, remember me cause people stay there. People remember my mom. Um, yeah, it's an amazing place. And my dream was to, um, when you Google Ramona Gardens, that the first thing that comes up is like how beautiful this community is and how successful the young people are. We have this 100 college graduation initiative and we have about 40 kids in college right now from Ramona Garden. So that's awesome. We're going to get there Um, because growing up, people told me like, oh, you kids from Ramona Gardens aren't going to be anything. So our goal is to turn it, turn it around and for people to like come to Ramona Gardens and say like, how did they do it? How did they transform this community? And how is it that youth are leading this effort? But that's my that's my city. That's my hood. Right. Um, and, um, 
the good, the bad, the ugly, the beautiful, the happy, the sad. Like I've experienced everything there and it's my neighborhood. Mm. Boom. Thank you so much for being with us, Lou. Oh, it was awesome. Thank Shout you. Shout out to Ramona Gardens yeah. and the youth. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. Thank you. Thanks, y'all. We had so much fun recording with our guests and with our team. Make sure to rate and review us on the Instagram and Facebook and Wait, is it? Did you say the Instagram? <laughs> <laughs> iTunes. iTunes. Rate and review us on iTunes. If you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast and share it with your friends so they can subscribe too.